take your Bible now to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 9. I know we've used this text repeatedly. There is no way possible that we could in four or five short weeks, Hebrews chapter 9, four or five short weeks on a Sunday morning, we could completely exhaust the teaching on the blood of Christ. And yet this morning uh, will be our last message on this topic for a little while in the Sunday morning. Hebrews chapter 9, as soon as you find your place, please join us by standing. I'll begin reading in verse number 16. Please join me in verse number 17 and never the verse until we close together verse number 22. Hebrews nine sixteen. for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the tester. For a testament is of force after men are dead, Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the tester liveth. Let me remind you, last week, of course, I think it was last week, uh, Mother's Day, and so we were off of the blood for a while. Uh, But the last message we had on Sunday morning, the blood of Christ, we talked about the blood covenant. Another word for covenant is testament. We have an Old Testament and a New Testament. You do no damage to call it an old covenant and a new covenant. So that's what Paul is talking about. Verse 18, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every aspect to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, This is the blood of the New Testament, which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Read verse 22 together, our text for this morning. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. I want to speak to you lastly on the highway of blood. Father, help us this morning. It refreshes my heart. I know we still have many that are traveling. I do uplift before you the Davises and, and the Donahues and, and Father, we, the, the Morrises and Brother Levi and, and many others that are traveling, the Wyatt family. And, and I pray you'd bring them safely back home to us. But Father, you have gathered together these today. And I pray that our time would not be wasted. Father, I don't want to waste anybody's time. I pray that you'd move on my heart and all of our heart. Help us to understand the necessity of the blood and the importance of the blood. And as we close out these messages on Sunday morning, I pray that you'd help us each and every one to examine ourselves and through the Holy Spirit we might give assurance in our heart if we're truly under the blood. And if not, that we would place ourselves underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us in the teaching hour this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus made it all, all to him. 
and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for your bless, blessers busted. I know you English teachers, busted isn't a good word, but Hebrews chapter 9, the highway of blood. Stay with me if you would please. The foundation of any great church must be based on three things, the book, the blessed hope, and the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again, the book the blessed hope, and the blood of Jesus Christ. The book, the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. And by the way, let me say this to you, and there's a reason we do that. We believe God's inspired word. Now watch this, 130-some different versions. They can't all be the word of God, and they're not all the word of God. We can look at the King James Version and King James Bible and tell you, how that we can prove that it is the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. The blessed hope, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Aren't you coming? Well, we see the, the turmoil that our nation is in. If you read the, mu- the news this morning as I did yesterday. How, can you imagine this? Some of you, I know Skyland, Logan, were down in the Texas area and 
and, and Tyrell and Terry. And by the way, both of you young couples, it's a blessing to have you back. We prayed for you. So Tyrell and Sarah were on this coast, and Skyler and Logan were on this coast. Can you imagine being a coastal nation and having somebody, your enemies, lob rockets into your backyard on a continual basis? That's what's happening in Israel. If it were not for God's protection and the Iron Dome and the Israeli army, those rockets would be finding their way to a hospital, to a school, to a home, and killing untold thousands. But aren't you glad that none of that takes the Lord by surprise? He's coming again, and He will make right all the wrongs. The book, the blessed hope, and the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed on Calvary's cross and is sufficient to bring salvation to all through faith in Jesus Christ. The folks just sung about it. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. And can I say this to you as a reminder? We'll go through a little, little bit of what we've already learned. The cross was not an afterthought in the mind of God. When man sinned in Genesis chapter number 3, God didn't have a different plan that he put into place. The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world, before there was a Garden of Eden, before there was a man or a woman. God knew that his son would come in the likeness of sinful man and die on Calvary's cross. We made this statement week number two, no matter where you take this blessed book, and you could cut it. You could go to any page in any chapter and any verse, and you'll find out it will bleed. It's blood from Genesis to Revelation. This morning, we will retrace our steps over the past few weeks and, and look at some new territory. Where do we see the highway of blood? Where do we see blood in the Scriptures? Go with me again in the, book of, in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis. In chapter number 3, when man sinned and he covered himself a likeness of religion. He covered himself when he found out himself to be naked with fig leaves. God came down to walk with man. He cannot walk with man in our own righteousness. And so God sought man out and understood that he'd fallen into sin. And an animal was slain and man was covered with animal skins, an innocent animal. The coat from an innocent animal in the Garden of Eden was used by God to cover man's sins. The blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins today. And then we look at Cain and Abel, two of Adam and Eve's sons. And Cain killed his brother. God came down and looked and, and talked to Cain about where his brother and am I my brother's keeper? Can you imagine this? Not the message this morning. How did God know that Cain had killed his brother? He said, the blood of your brother, what? Cries up to me from the ground. If the blood of one man cried to God, can you imagine what God hears in heaven today? We have killed in the last couple years over 35 million of our children in America. That blood cries up. So Cain and Abel and God makes a, God makes a way and, and even there a sacrifice and a blood offering. And then we look at Abraham and Isaac in, in Genesis chapter number 22. 
starts with something like this. Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, and offer him upon a mount that I will show thee of. Wait a minute, God, that's the promised son. That's the one that Sarah and I, you promised to us, and that's the true miraculous birth that Sarah and I were beyond the age of being able to have a child, and that's the promised son, and now you want me to sacrifice him. Remember, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago where Abraham took Isaac up onto Mount Moriah, and just as that dagger is going to come down and be thrust into the breast of his son, there, Abraham, Abraham, God stops him, and there was a ram caught in the thickets. Not a goat, not a calf, a ram. What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Then we saw Noah. Now follow me with you for all of these days that Noah was in the ark. And the first thing he comes off of the ark, what does he do? He builds an altar. Why? You ever thought about this? I never thought about this, Brother George, till this lesson. Brother Al, I know you teach the Bible. Think about this. Why did Noah need to build an altar? Had God not just judged all of mankind for their sin through the flood? Then why does he need to offer a sacrifice? You see this, until the permanent sacrifice of Christ on Calvary's cross, we need a continual covering and even though Noah and his sons and their, their family were on that ark and they were covered, the Bible says that ark was pitched within and without. That word pitched is our word atonement. The ark is a type of salvation. How many doors? One door. Jesus is that door by which we enter and no man can get into heaven and forgiveness of sin without coming through that door. And when God shuts that door, it's shut. Noah, Egypt, after the plague, God uses Moses, the type of Jesus Christ, to deliver his people from bondage. Romans chapter number 6 and many other places in the Bible talk to us that when we live in sin, we're living in bondage. God delivers his people from Egypt into bondage and he's taken them into Canaan's land. And remember the last of the plagues. The last is going to be the Passover. Can I ask you this? You ever thought about this? What about if the Egyptians or the Israelites said, listen, I don't know if this is what Moses is preaching is really going to come to pass or not. I don't know if the death angel is going to come. I don't know if we don't have blood on the doorpost and the lintel of our home. I don't know if really the eldest male in our, in our house is going to be killed. I don't know it at all. But just in case, I'm going to take a lamb and put him outside my door. And the death angel comes, would the oldest in that home still be taken? Well, there's a lamb. That's what they were supposed to do, take a lamb. But that lamb's blood was not applied to the door. Egypt, think about this. What if they were to take and, and maybe for that death angel, maybe they covered the the doorpost and the lintel, the mantle of that, that door, maybe they covered it with gold. And they lettered a beautiful poem in diamonds. Would that death angel have passed? Blood had to be upon that door, and that's God's plan. 
Can I tell you this this morning? It doesn't matter how good your religion is or how sincere you are. If you're not covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, you abide underneath the wrath of God. I wish it were not true. I have some of my own family members that have not yet trusted Christ as Savior. But the truth of the matter is, I ought to involve myself so much and pray for them that they come to know, know Christ in a personal way. Why? Because without the blood of Christ in your life and mine, we abide underneath the wrath of God. John 3 tells us of that. And then the promised land, the temple and the tabernacle worship. How many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of innocent animals were killed to cover man's sins. Can I say this to you this morning? We are saved by the death of Jesus, not the life of Jesus. The liberals would tell us, let's study the life. Let's see how he forgave and let's see how he gave and let's see how he, he walked with sinners and he certainly did all those things. And once we're saved, we ought to pattern our life after Jesus. But we are not saved by the life of Jesus. We're saved by the death of Jesus. A famous pastor of old said this, and this man is much smarter than I am. This man is a learned, learned man. Prolific author, maybe one of the most prolific authors of any Bible preacher in America. Some 10 years ago, he knew better than this. I don't know what he was thinking, but on a national television program, he said it doesn't make any difference how Jesus died. He could have been strangled and redemption would have been paid for. That's not true. Christ's blood had to be shed. Hebrews chapter number 9. And then we look finally, the trail of blood takes us from the Garden of Eden and it goes to Calvary's cross. Can I say this to you? I cannot explain it. Does this not happen to you, Brother Bill? Does it happen to you, Brother George? Does it happen to you, Brother Colin? Does it happen to you, Brother Wally? Some of you men that are full-time or were in full-time work for a while. Can you ever preach on the cross and feel like you've done justice? Always preach on the cross and try to get and, and try to help us understand what happened on the cross, what happened on Gordon's Calvary, Calvary, the place of the skull, what happened there. But I always, whenever I finish, I just feel like I just blew it. I just couldn't do it. Calvary should mean much to us. The blood, the trail of blood stops at Calvary. There's a great hymn writer of old that penned the words of a song, The Love of God. He said this, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. The erring child, God reconciled and pardoned from my sin. Is that what happened when you went to Calvary through that time? We just talked about it a while ago and some got saved here. Some got saved in church and some got saved at home. Whenever you got saved, you responded to what happened to you on Calvary's cross. And you experience the love of God. The author goes ahead and he says this. Could we with oak, with ink the ocean fill and with the skies of parchment made? And were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God. Write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. And think about this. That, that blood trail Ended at Calvary's cross. Think about this. You remember, go with me in your mind in the Gospels. Peter tried to stop our Lord to go to the cross, didn't he? 
Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. And, and Peter said, not so, Lord. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Because you see, Jesus had to go to Calvary's cross for you and me to be saved. Did not the Lord tell Peter, I could call how many angels? Watch this. I could call 12 legions. Did he not say that? I could call 12 legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels. We have one place in the word of God. One angel killed 85,000 men like that. And if our Savior calls 12 legions of angels, 72,000, could, could those angels get him off the cross? Can I say this to you? It wasn't nails that hung Jesus Christ on the cross. It was his love for you and his love for me that kept him on that cross. And thank God he stayed on that cross. What does the blood do? I want to show you this, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. What does the blood do? You say, preacher, you've made a big thing about the blood the last few weeks. What does the blood do? Let me tell you very simply, and never ever forget this if you are under the blood. Number one, the blood redeems us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at verse number 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It redeems us. The famous preacher of old, A.J. Gordon. Now we're going back into the 50s. A.J. Gordon was in a little London town for a while. And he saw a 12-year-old boy with an old rusty birdcage. Had a couple scrawny-looking sparrows in there. A.J. Gordon knew kind of what that young man was up to, and he said, Son, what are you doing with those birds? He said, I don't know, just captured them. And he said, I'm going to have a little fun with them, then I'm going to kill them. A.J. Gordon said, Now, son, what will you take for those birds? He said, Mister, you don't want a bunch of old just sparrows and old rusty cages. He said, No, what will you take for those birds? Young man thought, I'll just hit high. Back in the 50s, $2 was a lot of money. He said, I'll take $2. A.J. Gordon reached into his wallet, and he pulled out $2 and handed them to the little boy. Little boy walked off, thought he just, he just really hit, a young, hit an old guy for the money. He walked off. A.J. Gordon took those birds in that old rusty cage, and he took them down to an alley in London, and he just opened up the door, and he watched them as they fly off. And A.J. Gordon, a preacher of the gospel, said, that's exactly what happened to us in the Garden of Eden. Satan came and caused mankind to fail, to fall, and he had us in his cage. He had us in prison. And God the Father talks. I know it didn't happen this way, but understand with me, God the Father tells Satan, what will it take to redeem them? Satan says, I want the blood of your only begotten son. And God the Father said, you got it. 
And Jesus went to Calvary's cross and paid his, with his precious blood so that one day when you got saved, you got out of Satan's trap, you got a, and you were redeemed, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And thank God that Jesus came to Calvary's cross. And what does the blood do for us? It redeems us. I say this to this morning. Aren't you glad you're redeemed? Number two, the blood of Jesus Christ. Look in your Bible, if you would, please, to Ephesians 2. The blood of Jesus Christ brings us nearer to God. Ephesians chapter 2, and look at verse number 13. Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off, are made nigh, read it together with me, by the blood of Christ. Can I say this to you this morning in the kindest way I know how? If you're in this room this morning, you don't, you're not saved and you're not under the blood of Christ. You're as far away from God as you can get. You might be a good moral person. You might, If you're married, you're good to your wife and you're good to your family. You don't cheat on your wife and you're a good employee and, or an employer. You do everything right. You pay your taxes. You go to church. But the truth of the matter is, if you're not under the blood of Jesus Christ, you're as far away from God as you can get. But aren't you glad the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ draw, makes us and draws us near? It's never happened to you. My wife and I got married, and we prayed for it, and God gave us, let me see if I can get this right, a 1988 Oldsmobile Delta 88. Can you picture that? Brother Tom, you've got to be able to picture. Brother Tom's laughing because it's a boat. But this was the coolest car, Brother Al. It had a bench seat up front. That's a good way to start married life. Huh? Everywhere Kathy and I went, guess where she was sitting? Right there. She's not over there. Huh? So the husband and wife, they'd been married for some years. They're traveling together. And the wife's sitting over by the window on the passenger side. She begins to cry. She said, sweetheart, you remember how it used to be when we got married? We sat close together and the man's driving. And he said, I haven't moved. <laughs> Maybe there's a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are right now. Guess who's moved? God's where he's always been and he draws you and he draws me through the blood of Jesus Christ. Number three, the blood of Jesus Christ not only redeems us and draws us close to God, but look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. The blood of Jesus Christ makes peace with God for us. Colossians 1 and verse number 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be king, things in earth or things in heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ makes peace with God. If you're not a Christian, you're at war with God this morning. You say, preacher, I'm not at war with God. But James tells us if we're not a friend of God, we're fighting. If we're not fighting with him, we're fighting against him. But watch this. Once you get saved, the peace of God should be yours. I told you before in one of the weeks a true story about a lady that was in a hospital room dying. And the priest came in to see her. 
He said, ma'am, you know what the doctors are telling us in just a matter of a little while, you'll be gone. Are you at peace with God? And she said, no. He said, have you made peace with God? And she said, no. Would you like to? She said, no. So the priest left, and he was bothered by that. And an hour or two later, he comes back, and he said, ma'am, you don't have long, and are you, have you made peace with God? And she said, no. And he said, would you like to? And she said, no. Finally, the next day, that rattled the priest. He came back, and he said, ma'am, you are so close to draw on your last breath. Have you made peace with God? And she said, no. She said, you see, I got saved. I didn't make peace with God, but Jesus did by his blood. I'm abiding underneath his peace. I'm okay. And if you're saved and then you're on your way to heaven, what does the blood do for us? It redeems us, but then it draws us close to God and it gives us the peace with God. Number four, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Look at 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1. I'm going to ask you something. Help me with the message this morning. How many of you say, Preacher, before I got saved, I did some things that were really, really bad. My hand goes up. How many of you would say this? Preacher, since I've been saved... I've done some things that are pretty bad. Huh? What about those things? What happens with them? Look at this. The Bible says this. 1 John chapter 1, look at verse number 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the what? The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Watch this. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Now, don't let Satan remind you where you faltered and failed in the past. It's under the blood. My wife and I, when we first got married, we're traveling home one night to a back little one, one lane each direction, little street to go to our little apartment Sunday night after church. Snowing like the Dickens, a lot of snow on the ground. I remember a young couple, I mean a young car full of guy, young men that were drinking and carousing. And they passed us up and boy, they were swerving on the road. And I thought, this is not going to end well. Some distance down the road, right across from our apartment, was a Catholic church with Sunday. That church was just getting out, and a tragic, tragic accident happened with those young men. I remember pulling the car over and seeing if we could be of help, and one young man was obviously dying. Watched the priest come out of there and said to the young man, as he been down, Do you have any sins that you need to confess? Do you have any sins you need to confess? Child of God, can I tell you this? If you're under the blood, your sins are under Jesus' blood. God forgave you of them. He cleansed you of them. They're underneath that blood, never for you to see them again. In 1922, the religions of the known world met in Chicago to discuss what they could do as a religious body for mankind. In the end of that conference, a woman 
attended that conference nearly every day looking for some answers in her own spiritual life. And the conclusion of that conference was we just need to get men to help them to understand to live better and to do right and to do good works. That lady stood in the back of that conference as it was about to get dismissed. And she said, listen, I have lived a wicked, vile life. And these hands have blood all over them. And I live a... What do you have for someone like me? I'm about to die. I can't do good works. They didn't have anything for her. But if you were in that room and you knew Christ as your Savior, would you have something for that lady? Oh, yeah. Why don't you come to Jesus? He loves you and he died on a cross to save you. And just have him, trust him by faith in Christ and he'll cleanse you of your sins. Number five, the blood of Jesus Christ gives us power over the devil. Look at Revelation. Revelation chapter number 12. We'll speak about this tonight a little bit. If we welcome you back at 6 o'clock, we're going to be talking about the battle of our minds. Revelation chapter number 12 and look at verse number 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought. And his... I'm in chapter... What chapter did I tell you? This is not the one I was wanting. Gives us power over the devil. There's only one way. Now think about this. Do you know, Brother Jeff, that the devil doesn't fear Pastor Rogers? He doesn't fear Colin. He doesn't fear you. He doesn't fear you, Donald. Brother Tom. Brother Bill, devil doesn't fear you. Devil doesn't fear Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. Boy, look, those people are meeting again. Devil doesn't fear us. But let me tell you something the devil does fear. He fears the blood of Jesus Christ. We have victory. There's only one way we can have victory over Satan. That comes through the blood of Christ. I wanted to ask you this as we close this morning. How do you feel about the blood of Jesus? There's a couple of responses everybody has towards the blood of Jesus. Number one, some people hate it. Some people hate it. I pray that none of you are here this morning. That's your response. When Jesus came, Herod hated the blood of Christ. He sent his wise men. They were supposed to come back and report to him so Herod could kill Jesus. The wise men were warned of God and didn't go back to Herod. So what did Herod do? All of the babies two years and younger were killed and great lamentation was in. Now watch it. Was it because Herod hated little babies? No. Herod hated the blood of Jesus Christ. Organized religion hates the blood of Jesus Christ. Any way to get saved other than the blood of Jesus is of Satan. He hates the blood. Number two, some people ignore the blood. Preacher, I don't hate the blood. I don't believe everything you're teaching or preaching. I just don't think it's for me. I'm going to ignore the blood. I asked you this tonight, this morning. What would have happened that night in Egypt? And what did happen to those who just ignored the blood? Lastly, some hate the blood, some ignore the blood. This is me. Is it you? Some receive the blood. 
some way like it was for me as a 12-year-old boy in Monument, Colorado at a bonfire, a pretty good kid, I think, and growing up in church. But the truth of the matter is I never come to know Christ in a personal, real way. And Brother Jerry Williams gave a very simple message, and I realized I needed to be under the blood. I need to have my sins forgiven. So walk down and tell Brother Jerry I'm not saved. and My dad's a trustee in this church. I've walked down the aisle before. I've been in the baptismal waters, but I'm not saved. And Brother Jerry said, you forget about who your dad is. You forget about who's in the youth group. And right now, get yourself under the blood. Don't ignore it. Receive it. And I did. And received the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't walk out this morning over the blood. Walk out this morning under the blood. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. Imagine that night in Egypt. Did Pharaoh have an older son? He did, didn't he? Imagine that boy hearing the teachings and preachings of Moses as you've got to apply blood on the door. Imagine Pharaoh's oldest son going to Pharaoh and said, Daddy, you hear what Moses is preaching? Daddy, what if it's true? What if Pharaoh said something like this to his son? Son, we're good people. God is a loving God. We're good people. We're not going to apply the blood. You think that conversation wasn't had all over in Egypt that night? Here's my only hope and here's my fear. The Bible says of we pastors that we'll give an account for your souls. What I want from this pulpit is Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, whether it's Pastor Rogers or Pastor Fine or Brother Bliss or, or, or Brother Patrick, whoever it might be. Or what I want you to hear loud and clear is this, that God loves you. He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross. Jesus died so you can have a payment for sin. And if you receive Him, He'll save you. How tragic it would be as a pastor to one day stand and see somebody you pastored they sat in your pews. They sat in your chairs. Their, their name was on your membership roll. But the truth of the matter is they died and they didn't know Jesus Christ. They weren't under the blood. Don't walk out this morning over the blood. Walk out this morning under the blood.